um, baptism of the Holy Spirit class, and that's okay. Um, it's a fantastic class, and if yes. you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, then get out of here and go to that class. Yeah. Uh, no? Yes? Yeah, agreed. Okay. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, thanks, Ann and David, for taking over last week. I just I yeah. love the fact that we can share together and yeah. partner. Um, and I was going to start out today doing nothing but complaining. Because, um, you know, they talked about how to complain healthy. So it's, you know, we weren't here, so I didn't get that lesson. No. And we were complaining. Actually, morning. did I go to that seminar? Was I in yeah, that seminar? Yeah, but that's not what I got. But I got a yeah, big Okay. Different stuff. Okay, maybe that's why. Yeah. Miss May. We went to a fantastic, incredible conference in January. Was it already that long ago? March? April. <laughs> Earlier this year, and um, really got some phenomenal teachings. Um, and that was some of it. So. I, I love the fact that there's nothing new under the sun and that we can just uh, appropriate other people's stuff yeah. <laughs> and um, alter it into our own, which is one of the things that we're doing here with this Four Wills of God. Four Wills of God. Because what we've been teaching about is the Four Wills of God, and it's based on a book by Emerson Egriches. And he's the same author for um, Love and Respect. And so when we, uh, when Gene discovered this book and we've been, we were reading it, we found some really good elements in there. And so we've been presenting about that. And the last teaching before David, before we took that uh, one Sunday off, the last teaching we presented, we talked about the fullness of Christ and what we're believing in when we say we believe in Christ. So when we talked about, um, you know, while I believe in Christ, what is it that you actually believe in or who is it you actually believe in? Because we can say we believe in a lot of things. And and I how many have heard this statement? It doesn't matter what you believe so long as you believe it sincerely. I mean, we've heard that statement. And one of my favorite pictures of throwing of that statement just being an absolute lie is when Elijah encountered the prophets of Baal. And he said, you do whatever you can to call on your God, and then I'll do whatever I can to call on my God. And whoever God answers, that's who basically wins. And I remember those prophets, they were dancing, they were cutting themselves, they were doing all this stuff. They sincerely believed in their God, and they were sincerely wrong. And that's what a lot of the war in the Middle East, the jihadists, they sincerely believe, sincerely believe in what they're believing in. And it's costing a lot of lives. Yeah. So it's important to truly understand what we believe in. And you you guys who have known Gene and I long enough know we don't, Christian cliches really don't do much for us. We're in Sunday school. The correct answer is Jesus all the time, except when it's a squirrel. <laughs> and and we you know it sure sounds like a squirrel but this is Sunday school it must be Jesus um, so we we really like to push on, on why we believe what we believe and so it, it was really cool when we talked about last time you know what are we believing in who are we believing in when we believe in Christ and we didn't even get through all that and we had over half an outline to go and we didn't even get through that part so when you believe in Jesus, 
what comes to mind? What comes to mind when, just close your eyes and say, I believe in Jesus. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Cross. What else? Love. Love. What else? Mercy. Mercy. What else? For me, hope. Hope. Okay. Shepherd. Okay. Very cool. Freedom. I think about how I was, how I used to be. Okay. And, and just my mindset. Just, I mean, that's what makes me know he's real. Transformation. Very cool. It's good. You know, it's and we talked about the fullness of Christ, didn't we? And how it was important to 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 appreciate the fullness of who Christ was. Because if we're if if we if we focus on one particular aspect, Pastor's been talking about a work life balance, right? There is a balance in terms of understanding who Jesus is. Because if all we focus on is forgiveness, then we may have a tendency to find an excuse to sin because otherwise, why would you need forgiveness? And we know God's a forgiving God. Paul talked about that. He said, you know, do I sin all the more? No. But that's the mindset some people have depending on what they focus on when they focus on Jesus. I mean, you could look at um, a number of preachers, right? If you, you know, God is a God of prosperity, right? God is a God of prosperity. So if you're not driving that Cadillac and drive, you know, living in that mansion, there's something wrong with your faith, right? Now, is God a God that wants to bless us? Does he want to have us prosper? Yes, but does that mean a Cadillac and a mansion? Maybe not. You know, is it the name name it and claim it? You know, is it is it is it that we are so um, focused on miracle signs and wonders? You know, seeing uh, the dead come back to life and people healed. Is that an important part of who God is? Absolutely. But there are people that go from conference to conference, and you know, and it, and if the miracle doesn't happen the way that it's supposed to happen, then their faith is lost. Because they're so focused on the miracles, they're not focused on the... Yeah, and even Elijah, and you know, after that whole thing on Mount Baal, he's in a cave, and and he was expecting God to present himself in some big, huge, magnificent way. And what Elijah was missing was the still small voice. And when pastor was talking about Sabbath rest, I'm thinking about a still small voice reflecting on where God has been throughout the week because God is present. Yes, he's present in the big things, but guess what? He's also present in the little things. You know, the Sabbath you have to be careful about as well. I mean, my, my cousin is a Orthodox Jew that keeps the Sabbath. And, um, and even when we were, when we were in Israel, Okay, there were warning signs over the, the, the electronic toilets that flush themselves, okay, that those would be breaking the Sabbath if you use those on the Sabbath. I mean, I'm serious. You're desecrating, you're, get this, you're desecrating a urinal if you use it on the Sabbath. It's like, are you serious? Because it's, uh, because it's 
Okay, but like um, Pastor, I don't know if you guys went up to service in the morning, but he says, you know, if you're over in Israel, the buttons do every floor. It's set because you're not allowed to touch the buttons. All right, my my cousin, he has a um, all of his lights are programmed in his house. All right, for Sabbath. All right, because they can't turn off and on a light switch. All right. Why it's considered work? It's yeah, considered work. It's work. It's considered work. You're only allowed to walk so many feet in in a certain line. You know, so it's like it's okay for me to walk around here, but if I go from here, you know, to the far end of the parking lot, I may be breaking the Sabbath. You know, so I mean, we become so focused on the rules that we're negating and forgetting what the Sabbath was meant for. You end up working to not work. Am I saying that right? That's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, it's a lot of effort not to work. It's a, it's a, you know, not oxymoron, but what's the word I'm trying to say? Yeah. It's counterproductive. It's stupid. No, it's not stupid. I mean, it's not stupid because the Sabbath is really important, you know, to actually rest. But, is important, yeah, but if you're focused on that's the robot yeah. it's focusing on the Sabbath and not the God of the Sabbath you know like yeah, yeah. you know it's like no you're not supposed to be cleaning the kitchen it's Sabbath sit down it's like really but I expect you to clean it up Monday morning so <laughs> just saying yeah but, but again it's where's where's the focus and where's yeah. the balance so and and here's something too because uh, the sabbath touched upon it is the focus of your belief on the moral teachings because we there are a lot of holiness churches and even wherever you go in churches and stuff you'll get a lot on the moral teachings of of god but if we focus on those and we don't focus on who god is and who jesus is then what we may find ourselves doing is telling people where they're not getting it right and where they're falling short and become self-righteous in doing so. I uh, We were raised in a church like that. My and sister it, stopped going to church because they didn't have the proper clothes. It, we travel, and when we travel back east, I remember pulling into one parking lot of a church where everybody is dressed in ties and suits. We left. We left. We were in jeans and shirt. We left because we did not feel we would be welcome there. Right. You know, I'm I'm wearing pants. That's and my hair. I cut it. That's not right for a woman. You know. Okay. It's not moral. It's part of the moral teachings. God would have you respect, and you know how dear you pierce. You know, it's kind of like we don't want to wear jewelry. We don't want to pierce our ears, but. What about being the bond servant where they pierce the ears? What you know, it's it's yeah. We pick and choose. And then if we focus on if the focus of our belief is on what Jesus did, then we may find ourselves doing all the right things, going to all the church services, feeding the poor, and not cheating on our taxes. But it it's all about what we're doing and not doing, as opposed to who Jesus is. I had a conversation with someone yesterday um, regarding tithing, you know, and um, the person is 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 going through a lot right now, and um, 
I said the one thing that I was really grateful for was that when we first became Christians, we were taught the principle of tithing. And when I say the principle of tithing, um, I don't mean um, that we it's a law that you have to give 10%, but just that everything that we have, the clothes we wear, the money that's in our bank, the house that's on our, you know, the wheels that drive us around, all of that belongs to God. And he just desires for us to return 10% to him. All right, so it's not you have to do this, all right? And, you know, the person brought out, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, it's like uh, uh, the, the mindset that if you put in your $2, he's going to give you the $2 back and more. And it's like, no, that's not what tithing is, you know? Um, what? What's so funny? <laughs> oh, we do want to hear this. Oh. His watch just told him it was 1046. Um, anyway, but it's, 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 um, there are people that have the mindset that, okay, because I tithe, Lord, you owe me. You know, if I give you, if I put $200 in the plate, I better get a $200 check back. You know, because it says test me in this, right? You know, um, but I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm tithing. Okay. The whole purpose of that is to recognize that actually we can never give enough anyway for what he's poured into us. And so, so often we stop. <laughs> so often we stop at a certain point and we just become human doings instead of human beings because it's all about even the four wills and it's important to remember that the reason we're discussing this will first is because it is so easy to get caught up in making sure that we do these four things and life will be okay God doesn't operate that way uh, you know somebody was sharing you know they prayed for what self-control I said, why'd you do that? This guy's going to put you into a situation where you have to exercise it. It's a good thing to pray for those things. And I'm not saying don't pray for those things, but recognize what's going to happen when you pray for them. And so a lot of this is about developing who we are as individuals. Um, and we're not all going to become, we're not all going to become clones. And I like that passage in John 17. And this is a really confusing passage. You want to go ahead and read that? John 17, 21 um, and 23. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I am in them and you are in me. You got that? What was the address? 17.21 How easy is that to really reflect on, meditate on, and truly understand what's being said in that passage? Because Jesus is in, in the Father, the Father's in Jesus. He wants us to be as one. What does that mean, for starters? I want them to be as one. They will be as one. What does that mean? 
Are we all going to be clones of one another? Or the finger trying to poke out the eye. Exactly. Well, yeah, let's let's be real because sometimes that's happening in a church. If my hand wants to go, if my right hand wants to go and open that door, and my left hand wants to go and open the window, I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck. You know, I have to have a unified purpose and direction in the body in order for something to move. Right. So Taylor talked about being cohesive. Now, what do you do? You go to school. You're you're about to get married, which is really cool. Okay. You have life goals, life agendas, right? Are they the same as mine? How can we act cohesively? And cohesiveness doesn't mean that you have the same, that everything about you is the same. It means that, in this case, it means that when you're acting as a body of Christ, your all of your life goals should line up with you know, biblical principles and okay. lining up with what God has asked us to do. And in that, it means that the body is out acting out the Great Commission, what that looks like in individual parts. Okay. Uh, and so it, may, it might mean directing the body down a righteous path, and it might mean bringing a person who needs help. What's the most important key in what Taylor shared? Being in line with biblical principles. Being in line with biblical principles, and there's an addition to that. Not one is more important than the other. It is just as important that the um, individuals that set up the chairs for this room, that empty the, the garbage in the, in the bathrooms and make sure there's enough toilet paper, their position is really just as important as the pastor's position. You know? And yet, how many of us esteem the person that sets up the chairs to the same level as the pastor that's in the pulpit. Or when we're setting up the chairs, think that we're as high as the pastor is. And I, and I say quotes on the high, meaning we give positions based on prominence, you know, how big your face is, how, you know, how many people see your face um, on a daily whatever. You know, the, there's different levels of authority given to the different positions. And responsibility. And responsibility. And accountability. And accountability, but not the same value of the position. The value of the position is just as important. Does that make sense? So we're going to be talking about us in Christ and Christ in us. And Jean, um, Jean was listening to some teachings on her way back from Oregon last Sunday. So what was one of the primary ones, statements you heard? God is always present with us, but are we present with him? So this is talking about us being in Christ, and Christ is in us. So when you think about it, I know that God works with, walks with me always. But there's a lot of times when I forget 
that I'm with him, especially when I'm going through those challenging situations or when I've got that task that needs to be done. <coughs> you know, I will forget that, um, you know, okay, you know, we're, we're battling it out. We're having an argument. We're having that disagreement um, or whatever the case, we're facing an other situation. And it's like, okay, God, you're here, but wait a second, I'm with you. Think about that. Ron, Ron can be with me right now, right? We're sitting side by side, we're teaching here, all right? But there's times when I'm not here. I may be physically present, but emotionally, relationally, I'm not connected. And I know everyone here understands kind of what that yeah. feels like. It's like being in a large crowd of people and feeling alone, which most people have felt one time or another. You know, it's it's you're there, but you're not there. Are we present with God? We know he's present here, but are we present with him? And I, Pastor talked about that a little bit today, too. Um, and it makes it's it's a conscious effort. It's not one of those things where, oh yeah, just naturally I'm doing it. It Remember, we talk about relationships are very, require deliberate actions, right? You can't, we don't believe just falling in love, and we don't believe in a marriage works just because you said I do 35 years ago. It requires continual work, continual effort. I remember we were doing uh, premarital counseling with one couple, and, and uh, when is this going to start being fun? Uh, your wedding night. But until then, until then, we want to be sure you're prepared for why you're saying I do and what's going to happen when you say I do. Because there are good consequences to that, and there are some other consequences. I'm not saying bad. There are some other consequences to that. The good consequences are you get to have fun, you get to relate, hopefully you marry your best friend and everything else. The other consequences are God is going to use that person to refine your character in ways that he could not refine it otherwise. Have fun with that. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Renee, I love what you just did. I love what you just did. You know? You just appreciated yeah. Yeah. your husband. Because I want to grow. I don't want to stay stuck. No. And, and yeah. but that was you don't know how big of a blessing that is that you I mean I, I know you struggle because everyone does yeah. you know so I'm not putting any of your stuff out there but I know you no. guys have gone through stuff but the fact that you thanked your husband um, can we all get to that point you know, can we all get to that point where the struggles that we have with one another, we can say thank you because the Lord was able to use it, you know, to get off some roughness of me to, you know, and still is. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that is faith in action. That is um, giving thanks in all things, you know. Because when, when we accept Christ, when we place our faith in Christ, it is as if we are totally enveloped in Christ. So when God looks at us, all he's seeing is Christ. So I'm going to challenge you with this. In the heat of a discussion, 
<laughs> with your spouse or with somebody else, whether it be your, how many of us have looked at our boss at work? I, I've said this before, and it's already out there on the internet somewhere in podcasts. I used to look at my boss and say, that's the spawn of Satan. I did not. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm just being upfront with you. But when we accept Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, and when we look at uh, our spouse or somebody else who has placed their faith in Christ, do we see them or do we see Christ? Because I'll tell you who God, who God sees. God sees Christ. God sees the perfection of Christ. God sees Christ. That's why God can be in relationship with us. Because everything that Christ is, we are now. And that's why we can be in relationship with the Father. And that's what Jesus paid for. Remember, we talked about the last time we were here. God being, or Jesus being the only Son of God in perfect relationship with God decided, okay, yeah, I'll go so you can adopt all these bratty, unruly kids into your family. Yeah, that makes sense for me. And it didn't make sense for him because it was the ultimate expression of his love. Um, one of the teachings, I, I drove back from Oregon by myself, so I listened to a lot of teachings. Um, and I don't remember who the author was, but he called those, those we, I used to call them EGR people, extra grace required. Um, but this person called them sandpaper people. And I actually like that term because what is sandpaper used for? Okay. Getting the rough spots out. Smooth and polish. You know, smooth and polish. Reshape, right? To reshape. You know, so if I'm looking at the individual, and it's, 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 it's a mind change, you know, especially when you're sitting there dealing with the EGR, um, the sandpaper. Um, you know, sometimes you you get rough, rubbed in the wrong grain. Yeah. Um, I guess whatever, you know. But to to be for me to be present with Christ is to recognize that that sandpaper can work in developing me. Now, and I like that because when we when we consider that we are in Christ, you know, looking at one another as if they are Christ, but. How easy is it to look at ourselves through the lens of our past and see Christ completely enveloping us and God having no shame at all coming up to us and being with us? How easy is it for us? And that's why it's really critical to get a hold of this aspect that we are in Christ because what's going to be happen if we, we if we don't recognize that if we don't incorporate that into us we are going to self restrict our access to God how many of us have done something boneheaded and you don't go to God because it's like I don't deserve to go to God or have done that in the past. Or have done that in the past. I don't deserve his mercy. Look what everything that he did, and I just screwed up again. And it tends to send us in this downward spiral. 
But, and I, I, I like this part, and I'm just going to read this. God sees Christ, who is unlimited access. And ironically, it is the access that we need so that we can become whole again. So the very thing that we need and that Christ appropriated or, or gave himself for us, we say we can't have because what we've done. Keep in mind that God came looking for Adam when he sinned, and he didn't ask him what he did. He asked him where he was. God was more concerned what Adam was thinking about himself as opposed to what he did in that moment. God didn't come down to spank Adam. God came down to be with Adam. And Adam's hiding from him because of what he did. Adam restricted himself away from God. God didn't put any barrier up. And the funny thing is about that as well, and a lot of times we put barriers on other people mm -hmm. by our religious rules. You know, if you're not if you're not getting up in the morning and getting on your knees as soon as you get out of bed and praying and giving thanks to God, you're not giving him the beginning of your day and you're not setting up your right who's heard stuff like that. Okay? Alright, what do you mean you're not reading your Bible every day. You know, that Bible should be open every day. Are you just doing a devotional? That doesn't count. Right? I mean, we've all heard these things, and what does that do? What does that do to the person that's hearing it? How does that encourage and build their relationship with God? So how do we present the same true information that's important? You do need to be in the Word, right? We do need to give thanks. But how do we present that information with the people that are around us in a way that is encouraging? Um, again, conversation yesterday that I had with someone, they um, were at an event, and um, it's an event that they go to regularly, and made um, some friends with um, a homosexual couple. And um, this friend of mine was bringing up um, Christ. And one of the men were like so um, emotional, like literally, you know, what do you mean? I would be condemned for, I mean, literally got physical and in her face. And not that he was going to punch her or anything, but you could tell there was he came from a Catholic background. What did the church do to him? What did the body do to him? Because we forgot that we're... Now, is it true that his lifestyle is not giving glory to God? Absolutely. But he is still a child of God. God still loves him. God still wants him into his kingdom. God still desires the best for him. God wants him healed. God wants him whole. So what are we doing that to facilitate? How are we facilitating that? How are we facilitating that in all our relationships? Oftentimes we cut people off and we cut them off hard because of what they're doing. Or not doing. Or not doing. I used to feel absolutely horrible and guilt-ridden if I skipped church. Okay? The church is open, and I have to be with the fellowship of other people. 
And if I'm not, you know, I mean, maybe if I was out of town, that was an okay reason, you know. But if I was just really tired that day and didn't want to go, I was completely guilt-ridden because I should be able to knock over my flesh and go. Is there truth in that? Because if every Sunday I'm tired and don't feel like going to church, that's not a great thing. But how are we presenting? What are we doing? So what does it mean to be in Christ and have him envelop us? Romans 5.1, you have been justified. And let's listen to the truth, because these are facts. These are facts of what has occurred. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Jesus has justified us. We've been justified. And I've heard that the... um, that justified means just as if I had never sinned. But God doesn't even see it that way. God sees it as completely sinless. Because scripture says in Hebrews that God chooses to not no longer remember. Not that he forgets. Not that he forgets our sin because forgetfulness is a weakness and God has no weaknesses. Scripture is very clear. It says he chooses not to remember any longer. So there's power in that justification. Jane? We've been reconciled, 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So in our relationships... Are we reconciling people to Christ? And what is that? We've talked about it for a long time now. It's not back to the rules and regulations of a church or a doctrine or a a denomination. It's not to um, a practice, but it's to a relationship with a loving God. It's a relationship that in that love does set out guidelines There's mercy, there's judgment. There's hope, there's healing, there's all of the other things that we discussed. Exactly. Okay. You've been made perfect, Hebrews 10, 14. How many of us think we're perfect, by the way? Yeah, (laughs) those two raise their hands. I love it. We should all raise our hands. For For by that one offering, Christ, he forever made perfect, those who are being made holy. Look at that. Did you hear that? He has already made perfect those that are being made holy. So we are in a process, and while we are in that process, God already considers us perfect because of what Christ has done. So guess who's expecting mistakes? Mm-hmm. It says, while we are in the process of being made holy, that means mistakes are expected, but he still sees us as perfect. I think that's pretty cool. Not that, okay, God, since you're expecting a mistake, I'll give you one. Yeah. 
That's that's just wrong processing. And you know, we can talk privately after class about that mind process that goes on. But he is expecting us to make mistakes. We won't be perfect. And at the same time, he sees us as perfect. I think that's pretty cool. Well, what I like in that too, an analogy, um, all the parents in this room will definitely um, understand this. When that baby comes out, they're perfect, right? They're perfect little joys, right? Even though they do nothing but poop on you, pee on you, cry, take things from you. Demand. Demand, okay? But they're perfect, right? That's what I said. I mean, but 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 when that when that that child first comes out, it's like you know when you first see that brand new newborn baby, it's like oh my gosh, this is just perfect. Okay, um, you've been you've been made righteous. Um, yeah. Yeah. Philippians three nine, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. It's not the going to church, it's not the sitting on our knees as soon as we get out that makes us righteous. It's the faith that we have in Christ and what he is and who he is and what he has done. Now it's really important, the only way that we get more faith is to exercise that faith. Right. Okay? So all of those other things, like going to church, like Okay, all right, help build our faith, which therefore helps develop our faith. And it's, um, and when I think about this, I, I was raised in a Roman Catholic church, and I, I'll watch Blue Bloods on TV where they go to confessional because they're a Roman Catholic family, and they go to confessional, and Father says, Okay, say three Hail Marys, and 